Today we wrap up our teaching series called In My Feelings, and we have been journeying through this fantastic resource called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Um, Some of you have been reading it, I know, because I've talked to you about it. This book was transformative for me as I took a three-week kind of mini sabbatical back in the summer and asked for book recommendations, and without a shadow of a doubt, the number one book recommended was Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. So if you don't have a copy, I highly recommend get on Amazon, shout out to Prime Shipping. Two days, it'll be at your house, Monday, Tuesday, you know, it'll be there. Um, It's a fantastic read. I highly recommend you diving into it. Um, I also wanted to say this really quickly. This is off topic, but there, uh, earlier this week, (coughs) there was a video that went around, um, especially church culture, (laughs) and basically the video was... have the authority to preach or to teach or to lead in the church. Let me explain something to you very quickly, my friends. In our community, male or female, every female has total access to all the gifts of the Spirit to lead, to preach, to equip, to walk in leadership, to pastor. There have been women throughout the centuries that have led massive movements of the Spirit of God. Matter of fact, if you look in the catacombs of the early church, there are twice the amount of paintings of women leaders than there are men. In our community, you have the ability to lead and to pastor. If you want to get into a theological conversation about that later, I'll be more than happy to sit down with you. More than happy. But in Genesis chapter 1, before the fall, the same call is given to Adam and Eve. That's to rule and subdue the earth in the same capacity, to walk alongside of one another. We are different and unique together, but we are better together. We complement one another, but there is no hierarchy in Christ Jesus. Understand that this morning. So I just wanted to let you know, if you're a female today, you're feeling a pull and tug to ministry, to pastor and to lead, I want to step into that with you and push you, encourage you and equip you and give you resources to step into that. If you read Romans 16, there are multiple women that are mentioned that Paul talks about who help him in his mission in the church, Phoebe in particular. Deborah in the Old Testament, leader of a nation. Miriam, a prophet to a nation. Junia, an apostle. Don't get me started. All right. So um, let's go ahead and jump into the scriptures. Can we do that? Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to be at this morning. Go ahead and get there in your Bible. And as you're getting there, I wanted to speak quickly about last night. Last night we had our trunk or treat. Hello. It was amazing. If you're there, just go ahead and clap your hands. Like, woo, it was amazing. Right? So good. We had some awesome trunks. We had some awesome costumes. But I'll tell you, I made a mistake this morning. I made a mistake. I forgot our Golden Pumpkin Award. Yeah, I'll see the gasp, right? You imagine if you show up and the Holy Spirit wasn't here and you went, <gasps> right? See, you can shoot, man. Our priority is in the Golden Pumpkin and not the Spirit. But I forgot that this morning. I'll be honest with you. But um, what I'm going to do is next week, we're going to announce who got the Golden Pumpkin Award. So keep you on the edge of your seat, because we have some awesome trunks, let me tell you. And Jordan and I did Raphael, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. It was cool. I'm just saying, $7 cool. But anyway, um, so just keep that on, on your mind, edge of your seat, because we have some amazing trunks. And I, I did not vote, just so you know. I did not vote. So don't be coming at me, whoever wins. You know, I, why did they win? Da, 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 da. Anyway, good stuff. It's for a good cause. Anyway, um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 25 is where we're going to be at this morning. 
This is the very last section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you want to know about the Sermon on the Mount, go back to our podcast from Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, Sermon on the Mount, all summer long. This is the core teachings of Jesus, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What's so beautiful about this is that after he does the Sermon on the Mount, he then begins to show what it looks like to operate out of the kingdom. He shows and tells. But today we're going to wrap up the Sermon on the Mount with this little section here, all right? So Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. If you'd like a Bible, we have free Bibles out front. I'd love for you to get a hard copy of the scriptures. It says this. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Holy Spirit, come and move as we look deeper into the scriptures. Have your way this morning, Lord. Transform our heart and life. I pray that someone walks out of here today sharing with a friend or someone in our community, a leader, a pastor, about the transformation that happened this morning. God, we cannot worship you and not be transformed. We thank you for the series and all you've done as we've grown and understanding what it means to be transformed in our holistic self, including emotional maturity. God, would you show up and show out this morning in a radical way like you already have, and now through the teaching of the scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Anyone play baseball growing up? Any baseball players growing up back in the day? Some of you are trying to forget those days, you know. I remember when I was in like the fourth or fifth grade playing when they first had kids throwing versus a machine. I started getting hit in the batter's box, and I was like, oh, no. I don't do this, you know. (laughs) I'd be that kid that like the plate was here, and I'm standing like way outside the batter's box because I was scared to death for the baseball. But then I finally started getting a hang of it and started to, to bulk up. I was one of those kids who just looked like a baseball player. You know, in the sixth grade, I was a little chunky, a little thicker. And you're like, you probably play baseball. I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, what does that stereotype even mean? But I remember specifically as a kid playing baseball, um, memories of going with my dad to the batting cage. Over and over again, we go to the batting cage together. Was any, anybody like girl playing baseball? That was you. Like you went to the batting cage a lot. Yes, I hear you. Um, there were tons and tons of dollars spent, hundreds of dollars probably spent at the batting cages. Coin after coin would go into that machine. And we would go and practice my swing in the cage. This was a space where practice happened so that I could get a hang of a, a swing. Because some kids, when they're like, 11 years old, their swing is just all out of whack. Then you watch Little League World Series and you see 25-year-old men that say they're 12. You're like, what is going on? This looks kind of weird. You got a mustache, you're in the sixth grade. What's up, you know? And their swing is like smooth as butter. But the batting cage was a space for practice. And actually last year, I went with one of our Greensboro College students for fun, made the mistake of texting him and said, hey man, let's go to the batting cage. I haven't done this in years. Let's go. Not smart. We go and we decide, let's get like the, let's get like a, 30 minute or whatever it was, 30 minute session or an hour, as many pitches as you can get. I'm like, that's cool, no big deal. Your boy was dry heaving. I was like out of shape so much. I was over in the bush like, oh man, oh, oh, you know? 
And, then, and I was with Chance Bryant. And Chance was like, dude, are you good? Like, are you okay? I'm like, oh, good, man. You just keep swinging over there, you know? I'm just going to stay over here. Um, I was so out of shape. My swing was all out of whack. And I got into one that was like the 70-mile-an-hour Little League pitch, you know, that's like 91 in major leagues. And that ball's coming in flying. Wild as a bat for a machine, my, I, I tell you. I almost got hit. It was crazy. But it's been such a long time since I had practice that my swing was off. My swing was all out of whack. But the batting cage is a space where you practice. It's where disciplines of swinging are created. Rhythms are built in in a space like a batting cage. And one of the most essential elements of our discipleship to Jesus is to create spaces that foster transformation and closeness with the Lord. One of the most essential elements of our discipleship or our apprenticeship to Jesus is to create spaces that foster transformation and closeness with the Lord. We know we are supposed to pray. We know we are supposed to read the scriptures. We're supposed to Sabbath. We're supposed to serve. We know all these things, but how? How do we do it? What's the strategy? What's the process? How do we do it? And if we're honest, many of us haven't created spaces in our life to practice being with the Lord or becoming like Jesus. We haven't created spaces. We want to obey the Lord, but do we plan to obey? We want to obey, that's our heart's desire, but do we plan to obey King Jesus? Jesus is calling us to practice his teachings. Very clear here in the gospel. Practice my teachings Practice these things that are said to you. But not only that, he wants us to practice in the midst of his presence. He wants us to practice, verse 21 through 23, him. Because if you go back the first couple verses before verse 24, verse 21 through 23 in Matthew 7, this is one of those hard teachings of Jesus. I like to just go through the Gospels and just read all the hard teachings of Jesus. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Notice the kingdom of heaven is something that we enter into. It's a present reality that we step into. But only the one who does the will or the purpose of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly. I love it. he says plainly. I'm pretty blunt. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. The end goal of practice is to know Jesus, be known by Jesus in a way that compels us to do what he would do. It's not simply to do what he would do, but to know him and be known by him. There's an intimacy piece. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Pete Scazzaro, in this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, shares that we must create a rule of life, a rule of life, a plan of action, a blueprint for living. And the idea of a rule of life, first of all, when you hear the word rule, you're like, oh, no. Taking me back to, like, traditional church growing up as a kid where they had the mean VBS teachers. Why was it everybody taught VBS was mean? Or Sunday school? Those ladies were mean, you know? You didn't memorize your Bible verse? You don't get no animal cookies, you know? 
Like, what? What is this? We think of the word rule, and we're like, oh, man, I'm against the system. You know, I'm not submitting to anyone or anything, you know? I don't like rules. I don't do rules. But the idea of a rule of life was created by St. Benedict, who was a monk in the 6th century. The 6th century, St. Benedict created this idea of a rule of life as organizing principles for our life with Jesus. Organizing principles for our life with Jesus. But when we hear the word rule, we automatically get kind of defensive and a wall goes up. But I want to help kind of turn our thought process on what rule is and what rule means. The word rule traces itself back to a Latin word, which means a straight line or bar. Figuratively, a pattern or a model. That's where we get the word or a pattern, ruler. Make sense? Straight line, a bar, or a pattern, or a model. And it symbolizes that of a trellis for a vine. It symbolizes a trellis. Anybody been to a vineyard before? You've been to a vineyard and you've seen like all of these trellises that have been built up so that the vines can grow properly and in that can bear much fruit. John 15, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The idea of a vine growing out sporadically, it will bear some fruit, but it won't be as fruitful if it has a trellis or a rule guiding it to be fruitful. A trellis is a form that helps to maintain the direction of a vine so that it might become more fruitful. It's a, it's, a, it's a figure, it's a form that helps to maintain the direction of a vine so that it might be more fruitful. Now, when we talk about discipleship to Jesus, because a lot of us have heard this word discipleship, especially in our community, we say it over and over and over again because our purpose and calling is to make disciples of Jesus. If you're wrestling with, what do I do with my life? The general calling for all of us is to make disciples of Jesus as a general call. And then we all have unique calls as well, but that's the general call. So, When we talk about discipleship to Jesus, we talk a lot about direction versus destination. Discipleship to Jesus is direction-oriented. It is not destination-driven because a lot of us have grown up in the American West where our education system, corporate America, everything is about um, graduating to the next phase, essentially. We take one step onto the next step, onto the next step, from elementary school to middle school to high school to college to grad school to maybe more grad school, to to then maybe a job, and then get a promotion. It's constant levels. It's really more about destination. It's like we take these classes, you know? It's like church 101, 201, 301, 401. Oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus now. We're good. It's not about a destination. Discipleship to Jesus is about a direction. You can be so close to Jesus and not looking at him. Or you can be far off in the distance from Jesus But you're looking directly at him. You're curious. You have an awareness of him. The goal here is direction. That's why repentance means to turn, to face a new direction. And so when we're talking about this rule of life, a rule of life simply plays the role of a trellis of direction in our discipleship to Jesus. It plays this role of a trellis of direction in our discipleship to Jesus. You can write it down. It's on the screen. Rule of life is a trellis in our discipleship to Jesus. 
That's what this rule of life represents. Some synonyms for a rule of life. These are some words maybe you've heard thrown around in the church before. Here's some synonyms. Three, one, three synonyms I think are um, practical and make sense. The first one is disciplines. Some of you heard people talk about spiritual disciplines. Disciplines or practices. That really, that really hones in on the words of Jesus. Practices or rhythms. Rhythms. Disciplines, practices, or rhythms. These are synonyms for rule of life. And one of the many tragedies, I think, of a lot of us who are disciples of Jesus is that we have lost the art or the practice of spiritual disciplines. Did you catch that? My millennial friends and family. One of the lost arts of being a disciple of Jesus is to practice the spiritual disciplines. We think that's just something for our grandparents. No, actually, it's for all disciples of Jesus. Matter of fact, I would dare say you can't be a committed disciple and not practice disciplines. You can't be a committed disciple, which, by the way, that seems like an oxymoron, you know, a committed disciple. There is no such thing. You either are a disciple or you are not. I love how we add on words to the teachings of Jesus. Are you, are you like follower or not? Are you like, a, are you like all in or not? Are you, are you like a thousand percent, like a hundred percent, 65 percent? And we're like all lumped into the same category. No, 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 no. He's like, you either are in or you're not. You either follow me or you don't. You either for me or you're against me. You're a disciple or you're not. There is no committed disciple. You're just a disciple of Jesus. And I would dare say that you can't be a disciple of Jesus and not practice disciplines. Discipline, discipleship, and disciple, they all sound similar, do they not? The idea is the same, to be a student, a pupil, apprentice of a teacher. In this case, a rabbi. His name is Jesus. And the first attribute of the Holy Spirit given is teacher. The Holy Spirit is to teach us how to live. More like Jesus. Jesus is a visible image of creator God. We're like, I don't know how to live as a believer. I don't know how to live as a disciple. Look at Jesus. That's the goal here. That's even the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. To look like Jesus. Discipleship is not about destination. It's about direction. But we need a rule of life to help maintain the direction. A trellis for a vine, lanes on a highway, out of bounds on a football field. Try playing football with no out of bounds line. You can't. Try driving down Windover acting like there's no lanes, which some people do. <laughs> you know? And Greensboro traffic's not even that bad. You know? Try to go into Charlotte or Raleigh. You're like, dear Lord, are these people even saved? Right? <laughs> um, Lanes on a highway help, help with direction. Lines on a football field help with direction. I love the kids who are just learning how to play basketball, and the goal is to score on that hoop, but they actually go the opposite direction, and they score on this one. They're, they're not going in the right direction, you know? Like, this is the idea of a rule of life. These are sacred rhythms that help to guide us deeper in the direction of Jesus. Sacred rhythms. They have been practiced for centuries, centuries. But check this out. This is important. Disciplines aren't steps to Jesus, but spaces with Jesus. 
A lot of us love these books about five steps to this, eight steps to this. You know how now they have these PDFs that pop up and they're like, this to Jesus. This is about spaces with Jesus. If anything, it's more like dance steps that creates a rhythm with Jesus. It's not a manual. It's not like an Ikea manual, right? You look at it and you go, whoa, where do I begin? This is about spaces. John Wesley calls them means of grace. And I love that because these are spaces that King Jesus has given us in his grace. These are graces that the Lord has given to the church that function as intentional spaces in his presence. Did you ever think about that? When we talk about disciplines or means of grace, which Wesley has three primary means of grace, scripture, prayer, and communion. These are are spaces that were given to us by Jesus, by, by God himself. They are a grace to us. They are a gift to us. And we see them so often as obligatory. These are actually graces given to you so that you can be with Jesus in a space of intentionality. Dr. Timothy Tennant says this. So for Wesley, there is no such thing as an autonomous person reading scripture or praying or taking the Lord's Supper. These are all done in the presence of the risen Christ. These are spaces where we acknowledge fully the presence of the Lord with us. It's not that he's not all around us. He is omnipresent. He is all around. But there are times where he manifests his presence in the physical. And we go, whoa, what was that? Like last Sunday. If you weren't here, I'm going to tell you what right now, straight up. I'm not like an attendance guy as a pastor. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not all about that. Like I'm all about mission. But you missed out. When you don't gather with the body of Christ, When you don't worship with the body, you miss out. And so does the Lord. It's like going to the gym. Who, I mean, other than Corey, who wants to go to the gym? (laughs) Yeah, it's like two of you and you're just trying to look good, you know? Nobody does. If you didn't have to go, nobody would want to go. But because some of us are trying to keep our figures looking right, you go to the gym. It's out of necessity, not out of want, you know? But the deal is when you leave, you're always like, wow. That was refreshing, unless you just started back and you're like, ooh, that's kind of odd. <laughs> I started running a couple weeks ago. Whoa! You're the God of miracles, you know? Um, you miss out on the presence. You miss out when the body gathers. You miss out. I don't want you to miss out. So many believers and non-believers, right, are missing out on the presence and the power of God when the body gathers together. These are spaces. These are individual spaces. There are also corporate spaces for transformation and discipline. Recently, I was um, walking with Coda, our 95-pound golden doodle, who is incredible. I love him dearly. And he's pretty good off-leash, honestly. We don't really use a leash a lot. We kind of got away from that. It's not good, I know. But I'm walking down the sidewalk, and he will usually follow me, but Coda has a tendency, as most dogs do, to begin to kind of wander. He doesn't do the best at walking on the sidewalk in a straight line. He kind of wanders in the grass. You know, he'll go up to a pole and, you know, like, he'll just get, he'll get distracted. He'll be smelling. He'll see a squirrel, and he gets kind of excited, but he's slow, so he stops real quick. It's like, I'm not even, I don't even have a chance. There's no chance. 
But what I notice is that Coda is following me, but he's not on the same path. He, he, he's, he is following me, but he's not following a guide. He's kind of diagonally following me. Like, I can see you. Like, I'm following. Like, the other day, I was, I was following my wife home, and we get to the split at Battleground of Lawndale, and we got to get down to the end of Lawndale. And I end up going Battleground, and she goes Lawndale. And yes, we're going to the same place. And yes, I am pseudo-following her, but I'm not in the same path that she is. I don't have a guide. I'm kind of using my own way. A lot of us are in the same space. Yet Jesus, because he says, I am the way, not only is he the way to eternal salvation, but he gives us the way to live in the Sermon on the Mount, let alone the great commandment. He provides for us the path. And these are spaces that help to kind of guide us of sort to be in alignment with Jesus. You know, we all have patterns, we have rhythms, we have routines, spaces or activities that we order our life around, whether it's work, our friends, our marriage, whatever it may be, our recreation, CrossFit, whatever. Because y'all know some people order their whole life around CrossFit. You're like, whoa! Anyway. And we often, <laughs> some of y'all like CrossFit people, crazy, man. All right. I'm just saying that because, you know, I'd die if I did CrossFit. But anyway, we often try to fit these disciplines into the cracks of our life because we order ourselves around different things, work, family, friends. And it's well and good and intended, but we end up kind of like jamming in these spaces into cracks in our life jamming them in because we're not ordering ourselves around them. We're trying to fit them in. And I love this quote from Ruth Haley Barton. She says, many of us try to shove spiritual transformation into the nooks and crannies of a life that is already unmanageable. Rather than being willing to arrange our life for what our heart most wants. We think that somehow we will fall into transformation by accident. Wow. I mean, we could just go home now. Fascinating. We try to jam in these spaces into the nooks and crannies of our life that's already chaotic and out of whack and unmanageable. What if we shifted and began to order much of our life around? These are rhythms. You ever met someone who just doesn't have much rhythm? All the white people in the room, we're praying for you. Straight up. But you ever been a white person that can dance? They show it off, though, you know? Like, they show it off. The worst is when you go to a wedding. Like, you see people's dance moves, and you thought, maybe, I bet they can dance. You see it, you're like, oh, no. Oh, and it, sometimes you see people dance, and it literally makes you cringe. Like, you don't, you're like, oh, I can't look. Oh, I mean, even some first dances, you're like, oh, please, can we get this over with? Please. Some people just don't have rhythm. They have clunky kind of rhythm. They, 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 they're just offbeat. Like, you're like, can you teach me how to duggy? You know, <laughs> they don't know how to dance. <laughs> We're going to do a city group about how to dance. But a lot of us have very clunky spiritual rhythm. Our spiritual rhythm is much like how we dance, and it is offbeat, and it is not like it, like, whoa, this is odd, you know? Y'all saw I got some moves, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little offbeat. We have clunky spiritual rhythm. There isn't much flow. 
to our life. And then we try to jam it in and we're like, oh, this is odd because our rhythms are just so off. There's no flow to them. In this passage of scripture, the comparison is given to a house and its foundation. The foundation being Jesus himself. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation of it all. But I thought so deeply about the idea of a house. Like we get caught up on the foundation here. We get caught up on, you know, when the waves come and if it's on a foundation it's strong, it won't, you know, it won't fall, it'll stand strong. But I really thought about the idea of a house for some reason. It was just sticking in my mind when I was in the text this week. And the word house is the Greek word okia. Okia, O-I-K-I-A. And it's similar to the word oikos. Oikos. You know, like the Greek yogurt. You know, the Dan and Greek yogurt, oikos? Right? That word oikos means family or those who you are close to relationally. Your oikos. Oikia means a dwelling place or a home. That is what the word home means in the original language. And the difference between just a building and a house is that a house is built in a way that fosters a person's dwelling. I was thinking about the difference between a building and a house. A house has a unique purpose that really touches on your entire human experience. It facilitates a total dwelling. Each hope is to maintain a flow. A few months ago, my wife and I were getting ready to transition. We were looking for a new home, and we would go into some houses, and you're like, who built this house? Because the flow is all out of whack. Have you ever been in a house before where there just is no flow at all? You're like, this is kind of odd, you know? Homes have a specific purpose, and the hope is that there is a flow, even with the rooms in their unique purpose that they have in the home. There is still a flow. Many of us have a life that is built on the foundation of Jesus. We do. Maybe it's from growing up in the church or growing up in the South or whatever. Maybe there's some foundation there. We may or may not be saved. We may or may not have submitted to Christ's lordship yet. I don't know. But maybe we do have a foundation on Christ Jesus. And on the outside, uh, it looks like a house. But the inside is hollow and there are no rooms. We come home. We sit in the middle of the floor on a concrete slab. And everyone thinks on the outside it's a complete home, but it's not because there are no other rooms in the house. There are no other spaces. It's one big space, and you're like, Lord, where are you at? Because your house isn't a home. It's just a building. It's on a foundation, but it's not a house because it has to have different rooms to facilitate a flow and have different purposes. You know, we have more published books now on discipleship than ever before. Just get on Amazon. I mean, tons of resources on discipleship to Jesus, let alone theology. If you want to get deep in the weeds, there are plenty of books I can just give to you. And yet we are in a disciple crisis in our country. We are in a disciple crisis in the West. We have more books than ever before, but we have an increasing gap of practicing spiritual disciplines, an increasing gap of practicing spiritual disciplines. 
Some of you, if I asked you in a one-on-one conversation, I was like, hey, so tell me about some spiritual disciplines in your life. You'd be like, oh, Jesus calling. Right? And that might, that might be where it ends. Um, some of you might be like, oh, Kim Walker Smith, <laughs> you know, Bethel, <laughs> Hillsong. It doesn't go much further than that. It stops at pop culture Christianity versus sacred spaces that have lasted for centuries in the church. Philippians chapter four, verse nine, Paul says this. He says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from, from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Again, there it is. He wants to be with you. These are practices with the presence, with the Lord. He wants to be with you and you with him. But you have to create space to be with him. I could be with my wife or we could be married and live across the country. But we aren't with each other. This call for us today as we begin to wrap up this teaching is to create spaces in our life where we can experience transformation and be with the presence of the Lord. So to end on kind of a practical note, I'm gonna give you five spaces for disciplines. There are five spaces of disciplines for rule of life, whatever you wanna call it. Five different spaces quickly here. The first space is a space of prayer. Space of prayer. I shared with you guys last week briefly that we as a community are gonna press deeper into prayer over the next year. Prayer, power, and presence because you come to a point as a human being where you can't go any further. You are physically limited to what you can do. And we as a church community are are, are limited physically with what we can do. But prayer pushes past that. The The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Your prayers can shift reality. Why is that? Because God wants to partner with you. God wants to use humans as change agents in this world. Your prayers have an impact. Some of you are like, did my prayers really matter? Do they work? Absolutely. Why? Because the original call for male and females was to partner with God. He wants to partner with you. And now the primary way he partners is through prayer. Are all your prayers going to be answered? No, because if they were, you get arrogant and thank your God. But he wants to partner with you. Go to him. Ask for the little things. It's amazing the little little blessings you see throughout the day. Little miracles. Lord, give me a space at Walmart. Whoop, there it goes. Thank you. Like you just you live in a life of gratitude when you have small spaces of prayer throughout your day. Some of us just go to the Lord on big occasional prayers. What if there were small continual prayers? Some of us need to have physical like response to prayer, travailing prayer. We're laboring in prayer. Crying out to the Father, get on your knees. Get on your knees. A great resource for you guys, I I like to provide resources, is an app on your phone. Talk about integration. It's called Inner Room. It's this awesome prayer app that you can use as an accountability tool to pray. It will alarm you for certain prayers. It's incredible. You don't know what to pray. It'll provide you with some resources. It's awesome, because some of us don't know how to. Even the disciples, they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I don't know how. Teach us how to pray, all right? The second one is this is scripture. 
studying the scripture, meditating on the scripture. There's a great resource for you guys called The Bible Project. Man, go on YouTube and search The Bible Project. They have videos for every single book of the Bible that are animated. They're incredible, super creative. They're doing some fantastic stuff, and they have year-long reading plans and version on your app. The resources are there. I'm giving, to you, I'm giving you these resources so you can have intentionality in these spaces. The Bible Project's fantastic. Get into the scriptures. You're like, I don't know where to start. Start in Matthew. Start in the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. The third is rest. This is a hard one for a lot of us. It's a space for rest. We need to take time to rest, a Sabbath, to be present, to detach ourselves from the world and attach to the presence. The fourth is work, service. We should be giving of ourselves. We should be serving. I'm telling you, some of you aren't experiencing spiritual growth because you're not exercising. You're not serving. You're not giving. There's a call, a sacred call to give. This is actually a space for discipline. And the last one is family or community. I love the word family because throughout the New Testament, you see brothers and sisters over and over again. Family. And here's the deal. If you're in a family, a spiritual family, and everyone in your family looks just like you, everybody's white, you're missing out. And you're also not fully stepping into the Great Commission, which is to go to all nations, which means all ethnic groups. We gotta have a family. Well, we don't look the same. We might disagree. We might even disagree on politics. Hello. We might disagree on what's, what's good music and what's not, what's good food and what's not. But at the end of the day, you're family. You carry one another's burdens. When one person's experiencing a challenge or a struggle, you go to them and say, I'm, I'm thinking about you right now. I'm praying for you and I'm sorry. That's what it means to be family. There's a major difference between friend and family. These are five spaces, sacred spaces that have been practiced in the church for centuries that we have to integrate into our life. This isn't so much about segmentation, it's about integration integrating them into our life. And what if we begin to order our life around these? We need to do a whole teaching on priorities. This helps maintain a flow because some of you are like, "My, my spiritual life's clunky, the rhythm is off, there's no flow. That's because you don't have spaces in your life that have unique purposes to be with Jesus. I love this quote from Richard Foster. He says, disciplines aren't the answer. They lead to the answer. They are paths. They are paths to and with Jesus. Spaces. I also wanted to give you a couple of books, resources, because some of you guys like to read, I understand. Three fantastic books on spiritual disciplines, spaces for transformation, First one is a classic, probably one of the greatest books on spiritual disciplines ever written by a guy named Richard Foster. I just quoted him, called The Celebration of Discipline. Man, what an incredible title. Yes. The Celebration of Discipline. Fantastic read. It was written in 1978. It's incredible. Incredible book on the disciplines. He goes through inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. The second one is Sacred Rhythms by Ruth Haley Barton. Fantastic read. I quoted her earlier, and all you went, ooh, that's good. Get her book. Sacred Rhythms. It's really good. The third one is a book that I just finished called Addicted to Hurry by Kirk Byron Jones. It's a fantastic read. Talking about slowing down your idol to speed. 
I love how we say busy if it's something that we don't want to be, but actually we crave busyness. We need to slow down. We got to experience the presence. And sometimes the Lord's like, stop. Pause. Three fantastic books to go and, and get in your, your time to supplement your reading. As we wrap up today, I hope this teaching series has been powerful for you. There are a lot of us in this room. One of the, there are three main conversations we have in our community, I think, three main conversations. Um, well, let's talk about two specifically. There are two conversations we talk a lot about in our community, conversations around race, race conversations, because we want to be a community that values racial reconciliation, and we have to constantly be aware. We have to shift our focus and, and be on direction, because again, it's not about destination. We got to be directive. We got to be a family. We got to advocate for one another. We got to advocate for one another. We got to stand in the gap. We as white people got to stand in the gap. How many of you in here, just honest, this is not on my notes. How many here are left-handed? Left-handed. Have you realized how hard it is to be left-handed in this world? You're like, it's a right-handed world, right? Even a desk at school in third grade, you're like, this is horrible. You know, or binders, even a binder, you know, writing on top of the rings. You're like, this is horrible. Now you get a glimpse of what it's like to be a person of color in this world. We got to stand in the gap. We got to be a voice. We got to repent. That's one conversation, okay? The second conversation is a conversation around mental health. Mental health. It's real. We are holistic beings. And I think this teaching hopefully enters into a space where this is a prevalent conversation and it's okay to have the conversations and know that it's okay to not be okay. The Lord wants to transform. He wants to transform your mind, but some of us in this space are not okay. And you need to come to someone who you trust and say, I am not okay. I've been putting up a wall for too long. And if I'm not careful, the walls don't come tumbling down on me. We are holistic beings. And emotionally healthy spirituality helps us. And it's helped me in such emphatic ways to dive deeper into my soul, to my emotions and my feelings, and to know how to process them, to be transformed so that I can sift through them with a clear understanding and not just react quickly. So I don't know where you are today. But if you would, just close your eyes. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. Um, and I pray that this, this series has been worthwhile for you. If you missed any of it, go back. They're all on iTunes. You can listen to the podcast. If you want to get the book, get the book. It's incredible. But Jesus cares about your total self. Anthropos, the Greek word for self, total being. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for who you are, for your love. We thank you for showing up in this teaching in the last few weeks, God. I don't know where these individuals are at, young, old, male, female, young professional college student. But I know that you're looking at every single one of them in the eye and you're saying, I want to be your foundation. I'm the foundation of the world. I want you to step into that reality. And understand this too. I don't know your past, but let me tell you, the Lord loves you to the point where your mental capacity can't even fathom it because it surpasses the knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. 
It surpasses your college degree. It surpasses your master's. It surpasses your PhD. You can't mentally fathom the love that's been poured out for you. And some of you came in here thinking that the Lord does not love you and that your past is so broken and messed up. Listen, the Lord doesn't come to fix. He comes to make new. He wants to make you new. He wants to transform you. So God, I pray with these head bowed, I feel it bowed and eyes closed that in this space, you would transform our heart today. I feel like there's someone in here who's not yet surrendered to your Lordship. I just feel that in my spirit. They're wrestling right now. They're wrestling. But if it's you right now, I, I, I sense it. There's somebody in here that haven't surrendered to the Christ Lordship, but they're, they're wrestling. And his love has just been pouring out on you this morning. Pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. If that's you this morning and you haven't re- responded to Christ love and his grace. You haven't submitted to his lordship. You've only submitted to yourself. I want you to respond. Just respond with a hand raise. You don't have to say anything out loud. Nothing crazy. The Lord's tugging. He's pulling. He's tugging on you to respond. Say, you are Lord. Yes, you are Lord. Change me. Transform me. Some of you have been journeying with Jesus for a long time, but you're kind of like off the path a bit. You don't have a guide. You don't have a trellis. You don't have a rule of life. You don't have disciplines in your life. And you need to make a declaration today for yourself that, yes, I need to create a rule of life. I need to have disciplines. I need to reorient my life. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I'm the first one to do it. Yes. Yes, I see it. Come on, I know there's a handful of others. We want to orient our lives differently. Have a rule of life, prayer, scripture, communion, family, serving. Yes, I see it. Yes, yes, yes. Oh God, we thank you for your love today. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy and for what you're doing in our community, God. We pray for continual revival, for more more of a sip and taste of revival. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in your grace we pray. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Jesus if you can. Give it up for his love. Come on. He's good. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you.